Hello again, dear listener. This is the start of the show. Welcome to Fine, a previously recorded evening of storytelling and otherwise. This episode took place on February 25th, 2019 at the Lido here in Vancouver, which is on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. You'll be hearing from some of the excellent lineup of writers and comedians we had that night, including Benny Chow, Emmett Hall, Autumn Schnell, and Dina Del Bukia. And throughout the episode, you'll hear music from Only a Visitor, who you can find on iTunes and Bandcamp. The song we started the show with is called Big and Small, from their most recent album, Technicolor Education. And I'm your host, Cole Nowicki. To find out more about our upcoming live shows, please visit us at affineshow.com or follow us on the social medias at affineshow. All right, let's get on with it. Enjoy the show. Up first, we have Benny Chow. They are a chronically ill poet. They miss the sun. Here's Benny. Cole said I had 10 minutes, so I'm going to take a selfie for the first minute, and you're just going to have to indulge me because... Hi, um, my name is Benny. Uh, I write, mm, I write poetry. Um, I don't like to call myself a poet though, because like I don't know. I just feel like it's not. I feel like I have other shit going on, you know. I feel like dumb bitch is a better um, <laughs> title for myself than poet. Um, I'm I'm on sick leave from work right now, which has been really nice. What that means is that. I got overwhelmed at work and tried to quit my job in a flurry of tears. Um, And then my boss was like, yo, (laughs) chill. (laughs) Tell me what's going on. So it just means I've been sleeping and doing like nothing else. I've been playing um, Words with Friends on on Facebook. And that's about it. Um, It's Pisces season. So I've been feeling very like... I don't know, I've just been reminiscing and I've been in my feelings, which is very rare because I don't usually have those. There's a dime on the floor right here. Cole, did you drop a dime? I heard somewhere that, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's fine. I heard somewhere that finding dimes on the ground means that somebody dead is trying to contact you. And that happens to me all the time. So like, (laughs) I don't really know what that means. Um, I have poetry to read you. I promise I do. Um, Okay, hang on. I usually read off my phone. I don't usually need hands for this. It's fine. I like to hold the mic because um, one time I knocked it over with my flailing of hands, so it's just better if it's in my hand to flail with. Um, This is my book. It's called Bad Egg. It's been out for a while. You should buy it, or it's fine. You don't have to. This poem is called Questions of Etiquette. Are you supposed to say thank you after you receive a blowjob? How do you kindly excuse yourself from a conversation with someone who doesn't like pickles? 
How do you politely cut a family member out of your life? <laughs> do you call your closest friend, your longest friend, your favorite friend, or the person that you spend the most amount of time with your best friend? How do you decline a dinner invite because you can't eat in front of people due to your crippling anxiety? <laughs> Ass or crotch? This is a pair of love poems that go together. The first one is called, Let Me Write Something Quiet About You. I unwrap a piece of gum and toy with the wrapper. I write, I love you whole, like milk, inside. I rewrap the gum, and don't worry, my hands are clean. I give it to you, you say thanks, you eat the gum, throw out the wrapper, little ball of foil. Um, the second one is called, Let Me Write Something Loud About You. I make me a bra out of paper, pa oh my god paper mache and write something on it in sharpie like you are all right i'll buy you lots of cheap shirts from value village rip them off in public so everyone knows we're all right <coughs> i'm gonna read you poems that aren't in my book now because i feel like i usually read from my book and it's like getting real sick of it you know it's like hard because i feel like it's not fair like if you're an actor or something like People watch the movie and you don't have to be like present for it, you know what I mean? But like if you're reading poetry to an audience, you just have to like you spend so much time with the same shit and it's your own shit. It's not it's fine. Okay. This okay, this poem, it has like science language in it, which like I don't know anything about science. Um <laughs> And I, I remember when I wrote this poem, I was like on, in a Wikipedia rabbit hole, like reading about science and being like, holy shit, I'm going to write a science poem. So at the time, like, <laughs> it does have like a meaning that and I forget what it is. So like, I have no idea what this poem means anymore. <laughs> but I'm going to read it. It's called Equal Sign, part one, Doppler effect, blue shift. <laughs> <coughs> Imagine if the world was so bright, instead of lights, we had little black holes on our ceilings to make it so we could see without blinding ourselves. Imagine if instead of a purse, I carried a tiny black hole with me everywhere I went. It would eat all my money. <laughs> Part two, symbiosis, mutualistic. I wonder if being buried is peaceful, but also, do you know how expensive it is to die in this economy? Can you imagine leaving your family with a debt like that? I'm hoping the worms eat my guilty body and all my decomposing fears of the dark. <laughs> Number three, covalent sigma bond. Consider thinking about breathing not as a means of survival, but as a method to consume the world. How much nutrition is in a pint of your blood? How many calories are in the skin around your thumb? Think about these things that you carry with you. What could you ever give to match what you take? How long do you think I've been talking for? I always forget to count. Okay. I, every time I'm like, I have to remember, and then I get on stage and like lose track of everything. Um, sorry. <laughs> I said I'm on sick leave, which means I'm not, like, really seeing human beings. I'm just, like, at home all the time, and now I, like, have no idea how to behave in front of people. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. <laughs> um, this poem is called Collapsible. 
My heart is $7.99 at Ikea. Not solid wood, not made of gold, or even stainless steel. My heart comes with a manual printed on thin recycled paper. It tells you I'm easy to assemble, disassemble. Not fragile, just poor quality. My heart won't scan right when you try to check it out, but it also won't break. You can wear me out till you don't want me anymore. Aw, can I think I'm done? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Up next is Emmett Hall. While working for over a decade as an animator and storyboard artist for children's television, Emmett has also been moonlighting Vancouver's alternative comedy community. Now he works in a world of gaming, and occasionally you may just hear his voice in the odd commercial and cartoon. Here's Emmett. Uh, yeah, I uh, usually do character stuff and funny voices and stuff like that but um when i found out that there's like poets and literary aficionados i decided it's time i started writing a book too yesterday <laughs> so uh i'm gonna read you the first chapter my book um and i thought it should have something with drama thrills chills suspense love and what better than a film noir tale? And I thought, get some mileage out of this stupid mustache for the next couple of days I'm going to have it, because it's got to go. And that goes out to, I've seen a bunch of you guys out there. This is a reflection. You look ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm going to get Cole to help me out here, just so we can all get in the mood. <laughs> And I take off the glasses because detectives aren't nerds. <laughs> this cigarette's not going to work. <clears throat> All right, this story I've tentatively called The Treasure of Scoundrels. Matt, help me out. New York, or Los Angeles, whatever one you think of in black and white first. A city of scallywags, racketeers, corrupt politicians, stores and cars, electricity, you know, city stuff, and yours truly. It was morning time. The kind of time that night hasn't any business showing its sunless face around. I should know, because I was knocking back drinks with it the whole itself, uh, the whole night. Okay. But the more I talk about the night, the less I get to the matter at hand. And this matter was a matter of time, morning time, which it was. Leonard Topper, private, in private investigator, PI. That's a name. And the reason it's relevant is, is that it was my name. And still is. 
My nightmare of semantics was pierced by a sharp rapidly tip tap 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 on my office door. I lifted my head off my pillow of bills, eviction notices, and some expired coupons. And that's when she entered my life. Not so much an exciting incident as an inciting one. And I was happy to take it. I'd never been more desperate for some plot momentum. Sure, I noticed her figure when she walked through the door. But let's get one thing straight. She opened it first. The door. Anyway, the only figure I was interested in was the one I'd invoice for her if she so choose to hire my services, you know, and I accomplish them according to her sp It's a lot of factors that I don't care to talk about in the happenstance that they were boring details, which they were. <clears throat> Detective Topper, I've need of your services. Huh. That's odd. Her voice sounded like mine if I was doing an impression of her. I decided to look past it. Chalked it up to a production value thing or the availability of other hireable actors. There weren't any. I was more interested in what services she was in need of. And clean the dirt out of your ears, the lot of you. That wasn't a euphemism. It's just how I said it. A mistake. One of many I was about to make. Like lighting my cigarette filter first. Don't mind me, ma'am. I require a little cellulose acetate for breakfast. Doctor's orders. Keeps me from smoking. <laughs> she gave a smirk. The opposite of this. <laughs> Topper, I like your hat. <laughs> I didn't buy it. It looked like I was from a Ricola commercial. <laughs> and I like your little mustache. <laughs> Right, what am I doing? Selling you jeans at Dutille? Nah. <laughs> you're amusing, Top, huh? Let's hope your cleverness is, is applicable to my case as your stupid fumbling with that cigarette was. Cleverness? Is that a word? It doesn't sound like one. But then there was no squiggly red line underneath it in the word processing program. I had bigger fish to fry. Like how anachronistic the term word processor was. Ricola uh, But she interrupted me before I could get to the bottom of it. Listen, detective. I haven't much time, but I do have a lot of money. So kick your eardrums in the balls. You'll want to hear what I have to say. She was talking my language. English. Which was a given. I mean, this whole strange commenced. I, that was assumed, right? Okay, anyway. Shuinda Findelfinfer is my name, and my husband is an important man. And import, and with import comes riches. That's because he's in the business of importing treasure. Bunken Findelfinfer! <laughs> That's your husband. What's the problem? His money too dirty for the laundromat these days? Money laundering? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. But the problem is that he's gone missing in Turks and Caicos. Turks and Caicos? Well, which one was it? Hey, it's one place. Are you an idiot, detective? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not the right man for the job after all. Upset, she turned and left my office, but not without opening the door first. Just her style. I couldn't let her slip my grasp. 
The whole story depended on it, at least until the end of this chapter. I tailed it down the street. The sun was now fully lit. It seems the morning rush had shaken the hazy gloom off that fat fucking fireball. My eyes were a squint, and that's an adjective, not a noun. Though a squint does sound like some kind of gangster jargon for rat or informer. Appropriate for just such a story. Foreshadowing. By the way, I didn't time this music. It just happened this way. Speaking of foreshadows, I could use that many and then some. Five shadows, I'd take them. Staying out of sight while following my elusive client was as tricky as this plot was thin. I know her, I knew her quagmire was out of my league. I didn't want it. Why? Because it was the kind of gig where you end up looking down the barrel of a bang-bang trumpet. A not-nice-to-meet-you machine. A long-distance projectile poker, a bullet ejaculator, a gun. But getting the inside scoopity dupe on her little botheration could lead to a few healthy fins in the informer's circuit. Or should I say squinter's circuit? I ducked in and out of the shadows until I saw Mrs. Findelfinfer do the same into a seemingly abandoned alley, followed closely behind by another fella, also known as a fellow, if you're the kind that follows through on decent elocution. Either she was in trouble, or she was about to pass it on to this bozo. I saddled up to the alleyway and pulled out my camera that was conveniently fit, fit in my back pocket, or just showed up as a handy plot device. Either way, its readiness was a contrivance. But who gives a damn when your spectacle lens prescription is the bottom of a tumbler glass and your wallet's a celiac? You heard me, allergic to dough. <laughs> I leaned around the corner so my camera could get a whiff of the conspiracy. The duo, were when, were, the duo were in what appeared to be a heated discussion that quickly turned into a very visceral, visceral lip, com <laughs> visceral lip comparison contest. They were both winning. <laughs> My camera likey, and I could hear my wallet's gut grumbling. It was either the click of the shutter or the literal sound of the wallet metaphor that snapped the two dry humpers to their attention. They moved swiftly into a back doorway, and just as I'd know her to do, she opened the door before going through. And they were inside whatever building that was, as they were now inside my camera. Time to get these photography photographs developed so that this story could do the same. End of chapter one. Next up is Autumn Schnell. They are a part-time Vancouverite, part-time Y.E.G. Montonian, and full-time student. Autumn is a Guichin Trinju, currently living in unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh lands, while studying at the University of British Columbia in First Nations and Indigenous Studies and Critical Sexuality Studies. Here's Autumn. Yeah. Dream Cell Gweezy, Autumn Shelvilji, Jim Kui, Janet Kui, Jack and Kui, Wageshell, Shadeji. Hi, I'm Autumn. I'm Gwichin and a new Bialit from Treaty 11 territory, but I was born and raised in Miskwichiwa Sky again on Treaty 6 territory, and now I'm studying here as an uninvited guest on unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Slay with Toothlands, and I'm really grateful. Um, yeah, so the first poem that I'm going to read is called uh, Femme Indian Commandments. And it was inspired by a cis man that tried to fuck me over. So now I'm publishing it in Canadian art. 
Um, yeah, um, it was about an art event that he put on, and uh, he canceled my face. My friend Lauren Crazy Bull painted me, and he, he just took me off a wall. And she's the artist in residence of Alberta, so he was, like, fucking lucky to get her. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Femme Indian commandment number one. Decolonize is what you make it. Try to decolonize yourself first, though. You were born straight, you must become not straight. Later you will call this hashtag decolonization, but now you just call it hating yourself. Being bi is wrong. Wait, maybe I'm a lesbian. No, I'm definitely pansexual. No, maybe I'm queer? A white girl in a colonial fixture teaches you how to come with someone. Somehow, this is the most decolonized you felt. You let her dom you because she likes it. Is this decolonization? Does being choked really turn me on or am I just used to it? Am I a masochist? She cries when I ask her to be poly. Does decolonization mean owning and controlling? Fem Indian commandment number two. You should never have to be enough for them. You are already enough. You are 12 and you fight with your dad and you tell him that being queer is okay. He tells you that it's not. You're either a lesbian or you're not, okay? You cry yourself to sleep. You ask your mom not to tell anyone back home because you're worried they'll hate you. Mom doesn't hate you. Maybe it's okay? Your, right, your white sister says she always knew that you were a lesbian. Better to be safe than sorry. You bite your tongue. Fem Indian commandment number three. Don't let a native boy or a white girl determine your fuckability. We touch backs, but we don't fuck. Is there something wrong with me? Did I become unfuckable to the white gaze? We fuck. Neither of us come. Neither of us are domed either. Maybe decolonization means knowing and learning bodies. You make me feel hot, and you make me feel fuckable, and I like that. A Treaty 8 boy offers to make you moose nose stew. Is this decolonization? Can we make a 6-1 baby? I don't want a baby, but they could be 6-1 and maybe gender fluid. But I don't want a baby. I just want less hypermasculinity. The appeal of a 6-1 will never supersede my body autonomy. Fem Indian commandment number four. You're allowed to say no. I tell Treaty 8 boy that. My dad gets mad when I tell him to call me queer and not a lesbian. You're not queer. That's a bad thing. Call me queer. Treaty 8 boy ignores me. And then Treaty 8 boy cancels my face in a space. Remember, femme doesn't equal fuckable to you. The next time you want a native girl, remember that I'm not a native girl. Don't muse me. This one's called Watch Your Back or I'll Steal Your Tax Money to Fund My, Orga My Organic Pickle Addiction. <laughs> so the stereotype is right. You ask me on a 17-hour ferry after I had just learned that Indian residents in Ontario don't have to pay taxes. You ask me what's wrong. I don't answer you for five minutes because I'm angry and it's written in my blood. They don't call us bitch and glitchins for nothing. I'm dating you and you still don't get it. You're never going to get it. I was dating you and guess what? I don't want to make you. So the stereotype is right, echoes in my mind as I run away from you in University Boulevard. So yeah, the secret's out. I don't pay taxes. I'm a tax-stealing Indian. I'll steal your tax money to fund my, my organic Whole Foods pickle addiction. And you'll watch me. You're my accomplice. You're an honorary tax-stealing Indian. How does it feel? Fuck you and your fucking stereotypes. This one's called Early July. It's a, it's a love poem because I figured I, I couldn't be uh, aggressive the whole time. 
when I think of summer, I think of borrowing knitted sweaters that are two times too large for my body and racing to the park, but stopping to lay in the grass because it's 4 a.m. in July and the grass is the grass is dewy, the air is chilly, but that's okay because your sweater is housing me and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. When I think of summer, I think of sitting back to back on a saucer swing and feeling my stomach drop when the swing jumps. But you don't stop swinging us because my legs are too short to touch the ground, but yours aren't. So the swinging is your job. I selflessly offer to take the giggling because I think I can do that quite well. When I think of summer, I think of ingesting poison in truffle form 30 minutes before my mom comes home from work, then walking to the river valley. You taking a minute to look at the intricate beetle patterns engraved in trees, and I take a minute to look at you and your freckles. I fall a little bit more in love with life and you. When I think of summer, I think of drinking the cheapest red wine bought by my sister from the Coliseum Liquor Store on Wayne Gretzky Drive in 118th Avenue and staining my lips red from drinking right out of the bottle and then getting too drunk to care. When I think of summer, I think of getting butterflies from holding your hand a year and a half ago in rural Alberta while celebrating our graduation. When I think of summer, I think of laying in your bed and talking about our traumas and then going to bed because I was anxious and scared and I think you knew that because that night we fell asleep back to back and that's the most intimate I've ever been with someone and your hands didn't even touch me. We are young and dumb and this poem is sentimental and reminiscent, but I don't care because you have some of my nicest memories and I don't want to forget them because I don't want to forget you even more. That poem was written a long time ago and I didn't graduate a year and a half ago, but just so you know. Um, The next one that I'm going to read is my last poem. And it's uh, one of my favorites. Um, and it's called On the Banks of the Nagwachonjik. On the banks of the Nagwachonjik are my people, and my people are laughing. We're laughing so hard you can hear us here. On the banks of the Nagwachonjik, babies are playing, boats are floating, mucklicks are making, seals are jumping, and the sun is shining. On the banks of the Nagwachonjik, there is no hurt, only laughter. On the banks of the Nagwachonjik, my people are healing, but we have always been fool or we've always been whole. Don't let the media fool you. On the banks of the Nagwachonjik, caribou are resting, bison are drinking, flowers are blooming, spruces are growing, birds are chirping. The wind is blowing, Aurora is dancing, and we are dancing alongside her on the banks of the Nagwachonjik. Hi, Cho. Our final performer of the evening was the wonderful Dina Del Bucchia. She hosts the podcast Can't Lit and is a literary event coordinator and has written a collection of short stories and four books of poetry. It's a big deal! Exclamation point from Talent Books is her latest. Here's Dina. Yeah, this mic seems good. This mic seems great. This room is great. Cole is great. Cole puts together a beautiful room once a month, and I fucking salute him. Thank you. I also want to thank all the other writers, performers tonight. Benny Xiao, one of my favorite people, amazing person, really important to my heart. So, Benny, I love you. Emmett, beautiful costuming. I just, I feel like you elevated this to, uh, like the performance level was very high. So I'm going to fail in comparison. You're putting me to shame. Uh, (laughs) And Autumn, crushing it as always. Just 
beautiful people doing beautiful stuff. Yeah, this is my new book. It's a big deal. It has a mammoth on the cover, so you know it's good. Uh, that's how you know. So I'm going to read, there's four sections. I'll read a poem from each section. Um, and the first section is called Tips. None of them are about dicks. <laughs> so uh, Cole talked about housekeeping earlier, and this is called Household. Just trying to get the good light here for the book, but also my aging face. Household. Work too much, collapse in bed, worry about bills and relationships, and that shirt you shouldn't have bought, and then you'll forget to eat dinner. Oh, I should tell you, um, there are footnotes in this poem. So uh, this is footnote 16. 16, these are great ways to save money on meals. <laughs> Don't have children, 17. Another great money-saving solution. Probably the top tip for any household looking to save. Not enough people ask the right questions about household tips. For one, how do you make your household sexier? The answer is to masturbate in the linen closet. But also, keep a floral sachet in there. <laughs> a stud finder is not a joke. Save the rubber bands that come with your banh mis. Use them to keep your plastic spoons and forks from rattling around in your junk drawer. 18. These serve as a reminder of the irreversible damage of plastic. If you must dust underneath the narrowest crevice, then use the cheap lace underwear you were hoping would make you feel more beautiful. Cut up your credit card to prevent further debt. These shards can also be used to spear pickles or cheese cubes at a very casual get-together. <laughs> a glamorous way to display your refuse is in a regular garbage can, decorated with scarves you thought would add a jaunty flavor to your look. 19. Though they are not sentient, you know this is, this is your way of punishing the scarves for not quite working out the way you'd planned. <laughs> so the second section here is called, uh, oh, I already forget. This book is days old, and I'm already like not paying attention to it. Uh, this section is called Talk It Out. Also, each section has a drawing of an animal uh, that precedes the section. They're all different in megafauna because the last section of the book is about uh, extinct megafauna. And this is a megalodon chasing a bow, bow tie noodle, AKA a farfalle noodle. The most adorable of noodles. Uh, and so from this section, I'm gonna read all joking aside. Put it away. This is not the right time for a good time. We are having a serious discussion about traditional values, about saving ourselves from enjoying life. If you put it aside, it's easier, really. It's like we're real people. I will not make fun of any size of any part of your body. All of it needs to go away. If we leave some behind, it will spark. It could sparkle. It could take up space, and then we'd have to get to another California closets organizer to keep track of everything. Slip it into a drawer, a lockbox, an old ice cream tub. Once it's aside, we can get to the real meat. Tear into topics with our teeth. The meat of life dripping in sugary ketchup, a dollop of mayo. Joking is the side dish, and it's optional. At some restaurants, you have to pay extra for it. 
When your laughter gets shushed at a casual bistro, you'll know you've been asking for someone to confiscate your joking. Keep it in an office drawer like you're in trouble with the vice principal. That's the level of seriousness. You will need to win it back, but you won't. It will be claimed missing, you've lost. After it's aside, you're trapped, you're held accountable for being fun at one time. All joking aside is on a bumper sticker from the 90s, and now everyone respects it like it's in the New York Times. In all seriousness, I crept up, I crept up on you because it's funny to scare people. So this next section is called Big Ideas, and this poem is called Perfection. Reflexes like a cheetah when you call or ask or don't say anything. She favorites all your less than stellar tweets. She watches sports with a quiet reverence and only speaks about the game when she has something truly great to say or to agree with you when spoken to. She eats hot dogs and hamburgers, dozens of them, thousands of them, and gains no weight. No, she loses weight. No, she floats away like a kite you thought was really cool in 1992. She is making progress on dinner, and also she makes beer fly out of her vagina. <laughs> and then, with sex magic, it's lubed up for you to fuck her. She is perfect. She is funny, talks about farts, but doesn't fart like a real... <laughs> person. Perfumed air drifts out on a blue cloud, not a pink cloud, because you hate pink, and she is perfect. And the last poem I'm going to read to you is from the uh, megafauna section of the book, which, of course, has a mammoth. Uh, I'll read the intro to the megafauna section. It's short. Extinct megafauna, an introduction. Criteria. Must be heavier than 100 pounds. Must be fauna, must be extinct. These are animals that only exist as bones and casts of bones. They can't tell us anything, not with words. Whatever we have to say might as well be true. Skulls travel in different compartments from femurs or tusks. Sometimes they take different cars, a divorced couple that gets breathing room for a time before they have to come together after a long journey. Because it would be rude to not be present together at a big event like their daughter's wedding or the opening of a museum in their name. So uh, the animal that I'm going to tell you about is the North American short-faced bear, which was a really gigantic bear that used to exist that had a smushed-up face. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is the first time I'm reading from this book, actually, at all. I haven't done any events yet. Uh, I just got these copies a few days ago. I didn't think I would have them yet, so... Pretty exciting for me. Uh, thank you. You're such a nice audience. You all are just so lovely and well-dressed and very young, and I would love some of your stem cells. <laughs> so please visit me um, at that reserve table if you would like to. Now, um, so North American short-faced bear. Over hundreds of thousands of years, notes scratched in caves, notepads, scribbles in the margins, so many people have commented on your face. Like graffiti on a bathroom wall, short-faced bear is ugly. At least you didn't have to read mean tweets on talk shows about your short face and stumpy nose. I know there are records of people calling you a butter face. Why is it always about appearance, about size, 
your legs so long? Why does no one comment on that? And how fast you could run to catch and take down prey. Wild horses couldn't drag themselves away from your jaws, snapping into their spindly legs like pocky sticks. Torsos oozing like a Cadbury cream egg. Probably they left that out of your name because you're also top heavy. <laughs> it took so long for someone to say all bodies are beautiful. One of the largest carnivorous land mammals, they say, people say a lot of things. I bet you knew how to accessorize. I bet you didn't judge the other bears. I bet you had some nice friends. I bet you were fun at parties, hauling up on your hind legs to imitate humans. That brought the house down. A short, makes, short face makes for a great human impression. I bet the other bears admired your face, laughed alongside you. I bet you were a winner. And you're all winners. Thank you so much. All right, that's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks to all of the performers, Delito for having us, Matt Crisco for recording us, CITR for playing us, and you, dear listener, for listening. We'll leave you with only visitors' bedroom archaeology. Will you let me bore you with details squeezed out of memories? Rain on the wooden stars, crusty
You've been listening to Fine on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory at the University of British Columbia.